0: is that there was a Levitical law about mortgaged property. And if there was a mortgage upon the property that a family member could not manage, they were in such debt that they needed to sell the land, then a kinsman, a relative, could step in and purchase that, at least until the day of Jubilee, have the right of that when it would return to that family. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and today our message is on Ruth's marriage to Boaz, a romance and redemption in the mix. And of course, this is the love of God for sinners, and that he sent his son to be our husband, and Christ died for the church, and gave himself for her. Today also we have sketches of church history, we're going to be reading a little bit on John Calvin, and uh, we have an item of music, Amazing Grace, and we just want to begin with reading the book of Ruth, chapter 4 and I trust that will be of encouragement to you today. Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel, and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous In Bethlehem. This is a great uh, story in the book of Ruth, and it is a romance of God moving Boaz to seek Ruth to be his wife. And in this, there is a beautiful picture of redemption in the whole mortgage business as Boaz takes on the whole debt and frees Boaz as she becomes his wife. What a beautiful picture of the wonderful gospel of the lord jesus now to go along with this amazing story we have of course to him amazing grace how sweet the sound and i trust you will be blessed today as you stay with us here as we let the bible speak today Ruth, we've come to one of the great harvest stories in the Bible. It's also a great romance story, but it really is a redemption story. And of course, it's intended to depict the redeeming work of our Lord Jesus for his people. The main person in focus is Ruth. The book itself is named after her. And she is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi and her husband had gone down to Moab due to famine. And for 10 years, Naomi remained there. Their two sons, Malon and Kileon, got married to Moabite s wives. But during those 10 years, there were three funerals. Elimelech, Naomi's husband and the two sons leaving a mother with two daughters-in-law. She determined that she was going back to Bethlehem. The drought was over. Food was again more plentiful. And she said to her two daughters-in-law, I must leave you. Go back to your people. Orpah kissed Naomi, and she departed. But... Ruth said, I will not leave you. Your God will be my God, and where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. And so both of them returned to their, the homeland of Naomi uh, and Elimelech, who was deceased, and returned to that plot of land, which was theirs by ownership. Now, The other twist to this story that is really very important is that there was a Levitical law about mortgaged property. And if there was a mortgage upon the property that a family member could not manage, they were in such debt that they needed to sell the land, then a kinsman, a relative, could step in and purchase that, at least until the day of jubilee, have the right of that when it would return to that family. And this kinsman would act as husband, take on family responsibilities, family privileges, and continue the name of that family in Israel. It was a merciful arrangement, and it was one that worked very well if the right kinsman Was to be found. And of course, here enters Boaz into the story. He is referred to as a mighty man of wealth. And it's into his fields that Ruth goes gleaning for barley. It was barley harvest when they returned. And so she joined the other young ladies, the maidens, gleaning. That means the pickles of grain that fell to the ground the reapers had not gathered in, that was free for the taking. And they would gather and labor long days to just eke out a sufficient amount that may provide for their families and their homes. Now, as I said, in the providence of God, Ruth started to glean in the field of Boaz. Well, also in the providence of God, it appears in this story that the eye of Boaz was taken with Ruth. He noticed her, he befriended her, and he even provided food for her on an occasion. He also said to his own reapers, let some handfuls in purpose fall for Ruth. And so as they would go along the rows cutting the grain, they would see Ruth in a particular spot, and they would just leave some of the grain on that spot just for her that she might have a better day, a better day of gleaning. Now, when she returned home, and often uh, with much more grain than her mother-in-law Naomi expected, she would ask the question, in whose field did you glean today? And, of course, she said, Boaz. And Naomi said, hey, did you know that this man, Boaz, is a near kinsman to us, related to Elimelech? Now, Ruth, being a Moabiteess, a Gentile, would not be fully informed of all those things and maybe not even aware of the full extent of the providence of God at work at this very time. Now again, in the providence of God, and to make the story a little briefer, it ended in the marriage of Boaz and Ruth. Her life changed dramatically from being struck with widowhood, poverty, uncertainty, great debt due to the mortgage that could not be paid. Now she became the wife Of a mighty, wealthy man, a kinsman redeemer who undertook for all the needs of Ruth. Now, as I said, this is really the story of redemption. And this little book is inserted here in the history of God's Word to give us a charming illustration of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And the key hinges on one Hebrew word. It is the word ga'al, meaning to purchase or to redeem. It means to buy out of bondage. And so as you look behind the story, you see Calvary entwined in every twist and turn of this providential story. And I trust that today that you will learn from this book the amazing, wonderful love of the Savior for his church, his bride, and how he undertakes to lift believers who put their trust in the Savior from all their indebtedness, from all their misery, their bondage, into the fullness of great blessing. I want this story to help us to appreciate our Redeemer. Do we? As we would come to participate in this communion, to remember our Lord, do we appreciate the Redeemer we have and what he has done for us? Let's do that today by taking three points that will help us to appreciate our Redeemer. First of all, Boaz was the right man for Ruth, and we will learn from this that Christ is the the right man for us. Boaz was the legal man for Ruth, and we will learn that our Lord has canceled every legal argument against us, silenced the law. We will learn, too, that Boaz was the loving man for Ruth, and our Lord is the lover of our souls. Salvation is not just a clinical, cold, legal work. It is that. It is that. But it is also the love of the Savior for his church, for his bride, his people. Firstly, then, Boaz was the right man for Ruth because he was related to Ruth. I'll take you back to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And here. is Naomi speaking. This is the mother-in-law, Naomi. And she said unto Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Let me tell you, that's what the gospel's all about, to bring sinners into a state of rest. There is no rest, no peace for the wicked. The man who lives and dies without the Lord Jesus will never know peace. Neither in this world his conscience will be against him, every witness of truth will be against him, and in eternity there will be awful torment of soul. And so our Lord came into this world to bring peace. And the plan of the gospel and the purpose of the gospel is that it may be well with your soul. Whether you're in good health today or whether you are facing eternity very soon, you must be able to say it is well with my soul. Now you'll notice that he was the right man because he was related. And she said in verse two, is not Boaz of our kindred? Behold, he winneth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Now, this was so uh, uh, significant, it meant hope that there might be a suitable kinsman-redeemer to pull her out of all debt and all misery. And all the thought must have thrilled Ruth's heart. She had already been introduced to this man. She had received of his kindness and something of his protection in the field. And now to think... That this Boaz, this mighty man, is related to Naomi's family and has the right to redeem? Ruth's heart must have leapt at all the possibilities that this brought. Now, for us, the same is true, because Calvary's work is through the humanity of our Lord Jesus. He is a near kinsman because he didn't take the form of angels. He didn't take the form of any other creatures. He took the form of mankind, the great mystery of godliness and of the gospel that the eternal God took into union, a human form. He may be united with humanity to be our Redeemer, to be our representative, to take our place, and to be our Husband. Now, Boaz was the right man also because he was wealthy, and he had not only uh, the, the family relationship, but he also had the extensive wealth that would be required to take on this obligation of another property and another family situation. And we will learn later that the other kinsman, the anonymous kinsman, he couldn't do it. There were limitations for him, but for Boaz, he was wealthy. You'll notice in chapter 2 verse 1 that he is described there, uh, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. Oh, he was rich. He was a man of stature in Bethlehem. We know that he was a landowner. And, of course, Bethlehem, that was some of the richest farmland in the nation. Uh, That was the breadbasket of the country. He also had workers on his payroll. He could afford to be generous with his grain, uh, certainly to to Ruth. And he was one of the chief men in the city that sat in the gate. He was a nobleman. He was a man of stature and standing. And he could well afford to take on Elimelech's debts and solve all the problems of the family. Now, this is an all-important factor. Our Lord Jesus is our man who is a mighty, wealthy man. He came from heaven. He is God in the flesh. He has all resources, all power— And when our Lord lived out his life, he earned a perfect righteousness that is perfect for us. And of course, at the cross, he shed blood of infinite value, no limitation, blood that would redeem, purchase our souls. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of jesus that's the only blood that can cancel out our debts and set us free and so the lord is the right man for us again we see that boaz was the right man because he's pure in heart when you read through the chapter 3 you will see the romance of this story but it was a pure scene where ruth came to lay at boaz's feet at night that seemed to be something of the custom of the times. Nevertheless, say if Boaz was a man who was filled with lust and carnality, he may well have taken opportunity of the situation. But when you read through chapter 3, you will find the, the noble, pure intentions of, of uh, Boaz toward Ruth, And he would make sure that there was nothing that would bring her into reproach. And his way would be to fulfill all legal obligations and become her husband according to the public customs of the time. And again, this is in keeping with the work of our Redeemer. If you want to be made pure, the Lord Jesus is the man you need. If you want to be delivered from the sin and the filth of this world, you need the Lord Jesus to be your Savior And the only way that you'll ever be clothed in perfect righteousness is to receive that perfect life of Christ to your account, to be united to him, and then you will be perfectly provided for. Yes, he is pure in heart. And our Lord came to make his bride pure and clean, and one day present his church spotless, before the Father. And this becomes our hope. Our Lord is the right man. He is the one that sinners need. He's the one that you need. Now, let me ask you, are you mortgaged? Are you in debt? Have you sinned against a holy God? Do you realize that you can never buy your way out, that you are impoverished and in misery for all eternity without such a Redeemer? Then come today and realize the right man for you. He's the man from heaven. He's the man of Calvary. He's the man of sorrows who took your sin in his own body and suffered in your place. So he's the right man. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us here at the Free Presbyterian Church, and I trust that the Lord will bless you through His own word. This is an extract from Sketches from Church History by S. M. Houghton, an illustrated account of 20 centuries of Christ's power. And we come today to the account of John Calvin, how he came to the city of Geneva. Calvin openly took the side of the despised and persecuted protestants of paris he visited them and comforted them as much as possible his friend nicholas cop was elected rector of the university of the city and calvin seems to have assisted him to prepare his inaugural address in which he attacked the roman catholic church and advocated reform after the mode urged by luther when news of this reached the king Francis I, he required the arrest of the heretics. Cop, being forewarned, (laughs) fled from Paris, and ultimately found refuge in the Swiss city of Basel, which had years before been his father's home. As for Calvin, some accounts say that he escaped from the window of his room in a basket, but the evidence for this statement is inconclusive. Others merely tell us that when his room in Paris was searched, his enemies failed to find him there. After a period of wandering, he too found refuge in Basel in 1535. It was a city of comparative freedom and a place of refuge for many. Erasmus, who died the following year, was living there, as also were Henry Bullinger, William Farrell and others. It was a German-speaking city. Calvin did not speak German, but there was enough French spoken to make him feel at home. And then, too, scholars could always resort to the use of Latin. Two principal occupations occupied Calvin at this time. In the first place, he gave assistance to a certain Peter Robert, who was working on a translation of the Bible into French. But at the same time, he was writing a book ever afterwards known in its English translation as Calvin's Institutes. A treatise on the Christian religion, though a more exact title would be Instruction in the Christian Religion. It was dedicated to the King of France, and Calvin hoped that it would convince him that the persecution of those who were receiving the Reformed faith was wrong, foolish, and unwarranted. The book was published at Basel in 1535. It was republished with another additional material from time to time and eventually became, apart from the Bible itself, the most important book ever printed on the subject of the Christian faith. After spending a little more than a year in Basel, Calvin moved to Strasbourg, but to reach it was difficult owing to war between Francis I and Charles V. He had to make a long detour to the south, and in doing so planned to spend one night in Geneva. News of his arrival reached William Farrell, a French reformer who was already at work in the city, and a man fully capable of using strong language when he thought the cause of Christ demanded it. But let Calvin himself explain what happened. Farrell, who burned with an extraordinary zeal to advance the gospel, immediately strained every nerve to detain me, and after he had learned that my heart was set upon devoting myself to private studies, and finding that entreaties were in vain, he went on to say that God would curse my retirement and the peace of study that I sought if I withdrew and refused him my help when the need for it was so urgent. I was so terror-stricken that I abandoned the journey I had planned, but I was so sensible of my natural shyness and timidity that I would not bind myself to accept any particular office. It was in this way that young Calvin, aged 27 years, entered upon his first stay in Geneva. Farrell and Calvin were powerful preachers of the word of God, and the listeners were many. But the two men were not satisfied that the people should become hearers only. They wanted them to become doers of the word. To bring this about they introduced a strict discipline, too strict for many. And there we will end our extract, and tomorrow we will continue with the struggles of John Calvin in the city of Geneva as a reformer. So may the Lord bless you through his word today, and I trust you'll stay with us as we bring the announcements. Now this book, Sketches of Church History, is available through Let the Bible Speak for those who phone, write, email, or go through our website. And the announcements are coming up now, so have pen and paper ready, and I trust you'll jot down these announcements. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca.
1: This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale located at 18790 58th Avenue Surrey at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles links to our sermons a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online you're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6.00 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdale.fpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5am and 5pm and on Sundays at 9.30am for our one hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.